want to let you know that um, if I were, if I was on a deserted island and I was given one book to read, got to tell you, it would be Philippians. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's only four chapters. In fact, in most of your Bibles, it's only about two pages. <laughs> so you can read that thing in about 20 minutes. But there's a reason why I love Philippians. In fact, you could actually preach uh, an entire year from four chapters. That's how much of, of spiritual insights and nuggets are in the book of Philippians. In fact, I tell people all the time, if they want to start reading the Bible for the very first time, begin here. And I want to tell you that not only are there some nuggets, but the backstory is just as important to what Paul is giving us in Philippians. And I want to give you the, the backstory. Paul was an evangelist. We all know that, right? He wrote a lot of the New Testament. But also in his heart was to plant churches. How many of you appreciate that Brother Francis planted this church in 1980? I'm thankful for it. And he had a heart for a particular region. In fact, it's modern-day Greece. Uh, it's a city back in the day called Philippi. And I'm not really sure if they still call it Philippi in today's. But uh, the city's still there. It, there's a lot of ruins but Paul had a, a heart. He had a bending towards these people. And so he planted a church in about A.D. 52-ish, okay? And the reason why he loved these people so much is that he had such a deep connection with them because they were in like mind and they were in so much unity. And so he winds up planning a church there. In fact, at one point in Philippi, he's in prison. In fact, in Acts 16, you heard Paul and Silas singing hymns at around midnight and the prison cells open. Uh, that's, that's the place I'm talking about is, is Philippi. And so fast forward about 10 years. And Paul finds himself in a Roman prison. And he gives us the book of Philippians. And the cool thing about the book of Philippians is that at this point in his life, he's writing a letter to mature believers. They had been in existence for 10 years. And the thing about uh, the Apostle Paul is he wrote some other um, epistles in uh, prison, but it was always a crisis letter, how to help a church get out of a crisis. Philippians was not like that. These were people that he loved and he was encouraging them because he, they were mature believers. His goal was simple. He wanted to teach these believers that no matter what, they could have joy in their life. In fact, in the book of Philippians, in four chapters, in a couple pages, he mentions roughly about 16 times the, the word joy or rejoice. 
And so Paul is in prison. In fact, I have a couple pictures. Michelle and I actually were in Rome last year, and we got within about maybe five or 600 feet. It's the building on the left. Uh, we couldn't go up there. It's kind of up on a hill. We were down below in what's called the Roman Forum, and we couldn't get up to where this maritime prison is because there was a big fence and a gate, and we couldn't access it. But this is the actual building where Paul was imprisoned. Doesn't it look pretty? Next picture. This is where he was imprisoned. Now, obviously, back when he was put in this place, there wasn't that little altar in that plaque. But this was a dungeon. It was below ground. And the reason that they used or, or what the, the purpose of this dungeon was for somebody who was going to be executed. Keep that in mind about the backstory. So the irony of all of this in the book of Philippians is this, and this is why I love Philippians so much, is that Rome was Paul's dream job. Meaning that's where he wanted to go to preach to thousands of people. It was the capital of the world back then. It was a metropolis. It was like the, the New York City of the world. And his dream was to go there and to bring the gospel to them. But that never happens. Keep that in mind. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He was brought to Caesarea. Uh, they wind up putting him on a boat and they, they wind up bringing him to Rome and they throw him in that dungeon to be on trial to literally at some point, be executed. So he starts out Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3 with these simple words. He says, I thank my God. I don't know about you, but could you write that? After knowing that you're about to be executed... I don't know about you, but this is what I would write. Help! Come get me! Bring in the SEAL team. Bring in the, 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 the Green Berets. Bring in the Calvary. Come get me out of this dungeon. Because the guy I'm chained to is stinky. You see, what they did in this dungeon, they actually had a, a, a guard who would be chained to Paul, and they rotated him out about every eight hours with another guard. So he was round the clock. And he says, I thank my God. Could we write that? And then he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says, man, you guys in, in Philippi, you, you've been... You've been doing church for 10 years. You guys have the coolest church in Lafayette. He says, I thank my God and I remember you in all that you do. And look what he says in verse 4. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with 
joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, meaning the first day we launched the church, until now. So 10 years go by and he's writing this to his favorite people. And then he says this in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm absolutely positive, church in Philippi, that the dreams that you had back 10 years ago, remember we had those committee meetings? You know, churches have committee meetings, right? Except family life. But they had meetings and they had vision casting meetings and, and, and there was a lot of uh, casting that vision. And he says, I am confident in this that God is going to see it to completion in all of you. This coming from a guy whose own dreams were not happening. Instead of preaching on a stage, he was locked in a prison. And so naturally, how can that be? How can someone go through that much adversity, be locked in a prison, chained to some stinky guard, and say, I thank my God, and I'm absolutely positive, I'm confident that you guys are going to make it there in Lafayette, Louisiana. Well, I know this that Paul had something better than happiness. He had something called joy. And so what I want to do is just let you know that you can have joy as well in your life so that you don't have to rely on happiness. So before we get into a little bit of the content of what Paul is writing and telling us in the first chapter of Philippians, I want to just give you some brief Differences between happiness and joy. You good for that? Number one, happiness is external, meaning when everything around me is good, then I'm good. When the sun is shining, I'm good. When it's raining, I'm not good. When it's beautiful weather, I'm good. When it's August and it's 98 degrees with 100% humidity in South Louisiana, I'm not doing good. When things are going good all around me, then I'm good. I once had a boss in Atlanta. The guy was nuts, okay? I'm just going to set the record straight. He was one of the most unique bosses I've ever been around. I've never really experienced a guy who was moody. The guy would come into work and I had no clue. I'm only like 26 years old. I don't know what I'm doing, but he's my boss. One day he would be happy. The next day he would be sad. He would literally curse out customers over the phone And, and so it was, it was up and down. I, I wanted to call his wife and say, could you just cook a good meal for this guy and put him in a good mood for the next day? 
You see, everything for him was external. On the other side of the coin, joy is internal. It's not based on what's going on around me. It's actually what's happening on the inside of me. Now, some of you will say, Rob, I can't live in joy. You don't understand my story. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the circumstances that are surrounding me. I get that. And you're right. I probably don't know what you're going through. But let me tell you this, that Paul has the most right to tell us about joy. And I'm going to tell you why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not the recreational kind. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, meaning he bobbed. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But he says, I thank my God. Wow. And he gives us a little bit of insight about joy being internal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life. And I'm wasting away. Yet, inwardly, internally, I'm being renewed day by day. And that's what I, when I'm saying happiness is external and joy is internal. See, no matter what's going on on the outside, if our inside is matching what's on the outside, guess what? It's not going to work. Have you ever experienced that? And so he's telling us right here that joy is nothing but internal. Then he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For our light and momentary troubles, oh my gosh, what he's gone through, he's calling momentary troubles. I can't get direct TV to work sometimes, and I'm having a lot of trouble. You know what I'm talking about? I think he has the most right to tell us about joy. See, joy outweighs happiness. Number two, the second difference is happiness is based upon circumstance. In fact, the word, the, the Latin word for hap, the first part of happiness, means circumstance. It's, it's when you're totally at the mercy of what's happening all around you. It literally means, in fact, what, this is what I want you to do. Uh, everybody stand up. This is what I want you to do. An imaginary, let me see your finger, your pointer finger. Oh, you say I'm number one. Thank you. No, everybody has a pointer finger, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to draw a circle, an imaginary circle. Come on. 
Come on. Y'all have this on video, Doug, because this is going to look good. It literally, circumstance literally means the circle of your stance. You can sit down. I made you stand for a reason. I wanted you to get the picture. It literally means that everything, the circle, everything going on around you has an effect on you. Hmm. Joy is based upon Christ. It's when, it's when Jesus Christ comes in into your life and does two things for you. Number one, it's supernatural. He will do supernatural things in you, like maybe uh, allow you to see miracles in other people, give you opportunities, um, blow your mind by providing and, and, and healing and, and doing all. That's the supernatural side of what God does for you, right? The other thing that he does is in the natural, meaning he teaches you and he places you in a position to learn and to be literally content whatever you do. In fact, Philippians 4.11 says this, Paul says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. You see, Paul had a, he had a bending towards Christ to learn everything that he could. And one of them was being content with what was happening around him. Third difference is this. Happiness happens by chance. Meaning it's not up to you. It's just what happens to you, right? Joy happens by choice. It is up to you. You can't let things you cannot control control you. Paul said, I'm making a choice. I'm in this prison. This guy next to me has bad breath and he stinks. And the next guy is even worse. I've got hardly any light in here to be able to write. And yet I choose joy. It's interesting that a bleeding apostle chained underground is so thankful and full of joy. I don't know about you, but I want that. I need that. And then he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, he says, and you, the coolest church that we built started 10 years ago, he says, and this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What he's saying is, he says, guys, I love you so much that I'm praying that as you do church and as you do life, I want you to grow, I want you to learn, I want you to have insights, I want you to hear from God. How could a man chained in a dungeon be so connective to a people and write such encouraging words? 
And so Paul gives us literally three secrets to living in joy. And if you've taken notes, I really encourage you to, to take some notes here. But he gives us three secrets to walking in joy. How many of you would like to hear Paul's three? These are not mine. These are his. Amen. Number one, the first secret to living in joy is to stop asking why. Do you know that you can die in whys? As long as you stay in that arena of why, God, why are you doing this? Why, why, why? You will continue to remain stuck in life. Why is this happening to me? Why is every time I'm turning around, I'm getting a bill? Why is, why are my children going off and doing their, why, God, why, why, why? As long as we stay in that attitude, in that, in that mindset of, why we will never find the answer and answers to what we need. Amen. God says you're going to go through difficult times. Amen. In fact, John 16, says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But then he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I don't think any of you have written this verse, I'm going to be in trouble, and put that on your refrigerator, do you? But I've got to let you know that, that even Jesus says you're going to go through some difficult, tough times. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. You see, Jesus came to rescue us. That was his mission in life. Amen. Let's see if Paul asked why. In Philippians chapter 11, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, in Philippi, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you see any whys in there? He was totally focused on what Jesus Christ had given him to do. And there was nothing that was going to come between him and that. Paul says, look, some bad things happened to me. Almost drowned. Snake bit me in Malta. A lot of stuff was going on. I got 39 lashes, not once, but five times. He says, I refuse to ask why. Now, I have some whys myself, but I am going to just simply choose to table them until I get to heaven. Okay? One of them is, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Just saying. And the other why is, when I get to heaven, I want to have a meeting a safety meeting with Noah. Okay, Noah. Brother, you had the opportunity. You know those two mosquitoes you brought on board? You had the opportunity to smash those dudes. Why? See, I have a lot of whys. But I do have some other whys too that are very serious. But I've just decided to, you know what, I'm going to table them. 
So number one, we need to stop asking why. But number two, we need to start asking what? Lord, what are you up to when there's a lot of stuff happening in my circle of my stance? What are you trying to teach me? This is where you discover some very amazing things about God. His faithfulness, not giving up on you. His love, His mercy, His grace, His salvation, His healing. Amen? You see, Paul wrote this book. You have a complete book of nuggets and spiritual insights. All because his plans, his plans didn't work out. See, God had a different plan, which turned into a new opportunity. And so when we ask what, well, let me give you an example of a what that happened to Paul. Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. Paul says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I'm in here because of chains of Christ. You see, Paul says, I didn't get to preach on the big stage. But right now I have an audience of one. Because this palace guard, he's going to know about Jesus. And the next guy who stinks even more, he's that close from accepting Jesus. See, his plans changed. He thought he was going to be in, one, in another direction. He was on a missionary journey, right? You know Paul, he was always, he, he was the adventurer. But God had a different route for him. God had a different plan. And it was definitely a new opportunity. He says in verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. He says, I may not be preaching to thousands, but he's given me one right here. The entire prison guard got ministered to because of Paul in a dungeon. It's interesting to note that um, that first picture I showed you, the actual building, two churches use it to hold service. Number three, we have to focus on what really matters. There was a study done on some people who were given only about two to three months to live. And nearly every one of them said in their, a little biography of their life towards the end, in the last days, said that I wish I would have focused on more of the important things. Like relationships. Instead of the little mundane things. And I want to let you know that while Paul was in prison, he received letters from his, from the people in Philippi. And basically what they were, what they were writing was, hey, Paul, we got to let you know, there's some other churches that are popping up. And they're not too nice. They're talking about us. They're talking about you. And so Paul says, in verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so in love, knowing that I am not here, but I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But look what he says in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul said, who cares? I got your letters about the people that are starting up these churches. And, and, and I realize that they're starting up, stirring up the pot. It's all right. But who cares? The important thing is that Christ is preached. He basically said, it's not going to get me down. Because internally, I'm living in joy. In our vernacular, he said, Pff. in fact, right now, everybody go, Pff. do it again. Pff. That was Paul's attitude. So what? That's not the focus of my life. My focus is to preach to the, to, to the people who need it. And if it's a palace guard, so be it. Was he plagued with some bad days? You bet. He had a lot of bad days. He said, hey, look, if you take me out of prison and you put me back in, I'm good with that. I, I'll be able to write Colossians. If you take me out of prison and you kill me, you know what? I've been contemplating what's going on anyway. In Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever, doesn't matter to me, I'm living. And whether I'm here on this earth or here in heaven, amen? <clears throat> Back in 2010, I went through a very uh, tough time. On July 1 of 2010, my first granddaughter was born. And at the same time, my dad was in the hospital in Franklin, where I'm from. So life is literally given to us. Two days later, my dad passed away. And the reason it was, it was, it was tough for me is that I was struggling. I, on one hand, I was so excited to have a grandchild. I had visions of throwing the baseball with her, and I, I do today, and, and playing and, and, and doing all those grandfather do things. But at the same time, my dad is struggling, and he passes away on July 3rd. He was actually in a deer blind three weeks prior. In Mississippi. And the reason I was struggling so much is that I couldn't have another hunt with him. Because that was our thing to do growing up. I had the awesome privilege of having a dad who spent a lot of time with me. Uh, learned how to hunt. We hunted in West Texas. We hunted here. We had camps. It really was a special time for me. 
but he was gone. I played sports from the age of seven till I was a senior in high school. And I am not kidding. I, I never got a break from sports. I played three or four sports and one bled into another. In fact, I, I, on the football team, I was the punter. And so I practiced. I, I went, I, I went for, um, for practice. We, we did the punt team first so that I could go into the gym and practice basketball. That was my life. I was a gym rat and a field rat. From the age of seven to the age of 18, I never got a break. Even in the summer, I played tennis, played in tournaments all over. That was my life. And guess what? My dad and my mom missed one event, one game out of hundreds. So yes, I struggled on that day when he passed away. But I had a choice to make. Am I going to allow my circumstances of grief choke me? So I had to say, I'm not going to ask why. I'm just going to ask what and refocus. And like I'm telling you, like I know that I know that I know. When I walked in to see and, and to, to hold my granddaughter for the very first time after a couple of days of my dad passing, it was like the Lord tapped me on my shoulder and said, what your dad taught you, you get to teach her. So I had my answer to what. And so... Even on the worst day, about two months later, I had to delete his contact in my phone. And that was hard, knowing that I could never have a conversation. But it was the refocus, and it was asking what, Lord, what do you have for me in this death? Losing my dad. And so I've got pictures of him and my mom in a bedroom. And when Ava was old enough to walk and talk, who is that? I'm going to tell you who that is. That's my daddy and that's my mama. The baton is passing, amen? And one day when Michelle and I are gone, she's going to refocus and pass on to her children the goofy stuff that I do. Joy no matter what. I want to end with this verse that says this. In Psalm 126.3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. You see, when we refocus, we've got to understand of what Christ has done for each of us. 
He went to the cross so that we could have life. Not only on the other side, but here on earth. Amen. So I just want to encourage you tonight not to be caught up in that circle of stance of where you are and in the things that are coming at you. I know they're coming at you because they come at me too. But you have to understand that there's something better than happiness. There's something better than what's happening in, in your circumstances of life. And so we've got to stop asking why and start asking what do you have in store for me, Lord? And do a little refocus. Amen. I'd like for you to stand. I just felt like I needed to share this encouraging word to you because the book of Philippians is so encouraging to me. <clears throat> you know, I, I like to read my Bible and, 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 and I read a lot of other chapters, but usually about three or four times of the year, I always come back to Philippians because I need encouraging words for me. And, and Paul is such a gifted writer. And like I said, knowing the backstory of why he was writing and what he endured, that encourages me to want to seek after joy. Amen. And so I just want you to close your eyes right now and bow your heads. And you may say, Rob, I've never experienced that kind of joy before because I don't have Christ in my life. Well, I just want to pray with you. If you would say, Rob, I need Christ in my life because I'm tired of dealing with circumstances. I'm tired of dealing with, I want true joy in my life. I want to commit my life tonight to Jesus Christ. I want him to become the Lord of my life. If that is you, I just simply want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Let me just see your hands. I see your hand, brother. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hands, ma'am. let's do this. Let's just simply agree with those of you that raised your hands. And I just want all of us to simply say this simple prayer and just say, Lord Jesus, tonight is my night to receive you as my savior. I am ready not only to inherit eternal life, but to experience joy like never before. Come into my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time in minute, there is a card in your pew that says, I've made a decision. You just simply fill it out and bring it to our info center. We have a wonderful gift for you. And, but we want to help you on your journey. And you see, that's what Paul was doing to this church. They were a mature church. He wanted to encourage them and he wanted them to learn what true joy is and not be so bogged down with what other people are doing in town, right? But he wanted them to experience a life of joy.
and that's my heart with you tonight is that you will go into Philippians look don't take my word for it go into it go dive into Philippians I in fact I challenge you to begin reading Philippians chapter 1 and in your Bible take a marker or you by the way you can write in your Bible it's okay Take a highlighter, a marker, a pencil, an underline or circle every time you see the word joy and let that word joy or rejoice come into your life. I'm telling you, once you see the backstory and understand what he was doing and why he was writing it and how he could be so thankful, it will make a difference in your life. Amen. The Bible is so cool to me. I love reading my Bible. I don't read it for information, for head knowledge. I read it for the heart because I want to be changed. How about you? Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the word of joy. And Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, as we walk out of here, Lord, that that word joy will resonate in our spirit, that we will not succumb to the circle of our stance, to those things that just keep coming around and hitting us. Lord, we're going to take a step of faith and say, like Paul, We're going to look inwardly and say, inward, there's joy coming in. No matter what's happening on the outside, my inward is going to change. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, there's a new crop of joyful believers in your house tonight. For it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, Glad you're here. Have a good week. Rest of the week, a joyful week. Amen.